Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Deidre Brandner is a leader in educational and developmental psychology. Her books provide evidence-based techniques that will help young readers recognize their feelings and use calming tools to manage fear and overthinking. Jennifer Whelan started writing and illustrating children's books in 2004 and has developed an array of characters, including worried bears, boastful skinks and goosey gulls. Today, I'm talking to Deidre Brandner and Jennifer Whelan about their new books, Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow and Two Bears Who Eat Blueberries Go Bananas. Deidre and Jennifer, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Jennifer, where did the idea for the Bear series of books originate? Well, I guess through lockdown, that really presented that opportunity to work on something without any distraction. So for all of the challenges, there was some quite some positive things for me from like a, an artistic perspective. So I wrote Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow and had the illustrations fairly much sorted. Deidre and I have always wanted to work on a project together. And I guess... That was the moment I really thought, here is a project that could be a fantastic resource, but just working out how we're going to do that. So I guess that's where we really sort of had that that conversation around providing a toolkit um, that was going to be able to be an invitation to, I guess, provide some strategies around and, and extrapolating a lot of the messaging in the tale into a toolkit and and to keep that really quite simple. As a result of being, you know, a child psychologist in in the world of COVID and seeing face-to-face challenges that children and and parents were facing, it was lovely to be able to have something, a beautiful picture story book that was going to address, you know, what I was seeing, you know, every day in my practice, but also, you know, with the magic of bear you know, inviting children, you know, to navigate um, difficult situations with Bear and, yeah, and have some really, yeah, practical takeaways at the end. And Deidre, what age group are these Bear books aimed at? Ideally, you know, books that parents would share with their children, but I can see once they're of an age where they're able to decode text that we would say that anything from preschool, you know, up to year five um, would be a perfect age group for the story and the messaging to make sense for for little people. Deidre, as part of the toolkits that accompany these books, you say children need to identify their feelings and develop self-regulation. What is self-regulation and why is it important to develop these skills in young children? Well, research has shown that the ability for children and perhaps adults to cope with any sort of um, challenges, particularly those involving emotions, that first of all, they need to know what that feeling is, what that emotion is. 
before they know what to do with it. So being able to work out when you're tired or sad or worried or even angry is the first step. And then once you have that identification sorted, we can help build in tools, skills that help you manage that feeling. And that's what self-regulation is. It's the ability to learn to navigate the world, the social world, um, with with feelings that might be large at times and knowing what we can do to admit to them, but able to um, present with interactions with others without it being problematic. And um, and we know that more than ever, um, a lot of our children don't have that skill. And we are showing ever in classrooms, in learning environments, in the playground, self-regulation is one of the most critical factors in, in children's development. Jennifer, you aim to create visual links to these feelings in your books. Why is it important to create visual links for feelings? When we look at um, visuals and how we're linking those to feelings, it's a really important process for me as an artist to be really quite decisive and economical around, okay, what, what is going to be the word on the page and what is going to be the visual and and where will it work really well together. Um, so the link is really important, but the dialogue sits with it um, as importantly, but I guess it really is, you know, being quite decisive around what do you pair back for uh, Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow. The decluttering was really important because we wanted to make it so clear and so clean that, you know, what the image was on the page was fairly minimal, but really, really quite um, blown up and cropped, if, if, if you like. So we really zone in on, on, you know, Bear's face or, you know, just having that beautiful double page spread of the rainbow. And how important is colour in following that through? For rainbow, it's critical because when Bear's filled with each different colour that, that Rainbow's presenting to him, it is that that meditative process where you can imagine colour and that, that really is a, a huge takeaway in, in the toolkit that, that we practise that and that you can be a colour, that you can be the sun, that you can be, a, you know, a day sky. But, you know, having that demonstrated when you, you're quite young and, you, and you're able to take on board those practices, I just, they're, they're just, they're lifelong lessons, aren't they really? Because they really lend themselves to, to greater exploration and, and, and greater control and management over anxiety because anxiety is, you know, they're, they're big feelings and, and how we manage that. And that's quite powerful, I think, yeah. Now, Deidre, while there's a simple but charming narrative in Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow, there's also a strong focus on the listener, on the child being read to. How do you ensure that the child relates to that narrative and identifies with the bear character? Part of the way that um, bear comes to life on those pages allows that invitation. You um, you can't help but connect with bear, and he's presented with a vulnerability, but also a cheekiness and a sense of humour. And I think for children, that's a really strong connection. And the fact that throughout the story, one of the things that 
a lot of picture book series that I've used in my practice in trying to communicate a skill or a concept. I have too many words and what we know about children, you know, their receptive language is still developing. So having a long, complex narrative with lots and lots of information means that we lose little people. And by having clear illustrations, minimal words paired back to only have the strong essence of what we want that that listener to hear is where we can allow that child to you know really invest in the story and they can't wait to turn the next page because there's bear waiting um, while the story goes along and I really want that moment I want the experience for the reader or the storyteller to be part of this joy. And I love the idea that these books are going to be part of that journey together between parent, child, caregiver and child, teacher and child or or therapist and child. So, you know, that connection between being read to, I think is absolutely crucial. And we know that goes a long, long way to supporting lifelong habits for our readers. And of course, I, I, don't think that can be better represented than in your Do Bears Who Eat Blueberries Go Bananas. I love that title. How do you represent the concept of worry in a book? I think one of the crucial elements is we know that if you put the word worry or anxiety or feelings on the front page of a book, there's been a lot of well-being, mental health overload for them. And sometimes they're not going to be interested in reading a story that's got those words. I mean, children don't always want to read a book to learn something. They want to be entertained. And by allowing us, and you'll notice we very rarely use the word worry in the actual narrative. We talk about it in a practical way, how it looks like for a child, because you get this idea that's stuck in your head, you know, this intrusive thought that's following me everywhere. But we don't use intrusive, we don't use anxious, and we don't use worry. We talk about this bothering feeling it's, it's stopping Bear from having a great time and doing what he wants to be able to do. And I think that was really critical when we worked together in trying to have this beautiful story that was going to be able to, you know, to solve a problem um, for child and for parents. Because every parent out there wants the answers to helping their children when they've got difficult situations to deal with. And Jennifer, I love the advice that the kookaburra gives in Do Bears Who Eat Blueberries Go Bananas. To get that sticky thought unstuck, follow it back, the kookaburra says, catch it in a bag and shake it and let it go. Now, these are all action activities. Why are actions so important in dealing with things like worry? Through kookaburra, there's this tangible connection that he's providing a solution. And and I think that action to follow that that thought back and because sticky thoughts don't like to get caught. And I really, really love the messaging because a sticky thought really doesn't like to get caught. And so chasing it back is it's eventful. And and if you're reading that, there's that sense of control and empowerment that okay, you can manage this sticky thought. And getting it unstuck means we really have to face it. So let's chase it and and let's track it down. And Deidre, do we underestimate the level of fear, anxiety and overthinking in children by parents and educators? I do think as a society we've actually become better informed about the impact of, of worry. One of the dangers is that because we're so aware about anxiety and worrying, we want to protect our children from it. And I think it's really important that we are normalising that it's okay to feel worried, it's okay to be fearful. That's a normal human reaction, but it's not 
um, okay when it's stopping you being able to do the things that you want to do or that your child wants to do. So it's meeting it halfway. It's saying you can have a worry feeling, but here are some tools that will address that. So I think once upon a time we dismissed, don't worry, we would say to people, or calm down. They're the most unhelpful things that we can say and they don't actually work because if I could stop worrying, I would. So by giving parents and teachers this knowledge, you know, it's, I always say to Jennifer, you know, I love this idea that there's like a, a child psychologist at the back of each of these books and that they're practical, doable evidence-based tools that can help us, you know, support our children's worrying and anxiety. And I think there's a lot of adults who've read these books to their kids and talk about using the strategies themselves. And that's a good point that you raise because at the end of each of these books is a toolkit. What is in the toolkit that's going to help both the child and the parent? We really wanted to make the toolkit simple because I think a lot of parents want advice about what to do to help their children. But, you know, we're time poor. We don't have time to plow through <laughs> studies and research and all these helpful parenting books. So having everything cut back to what actually we know works. So, you know, as I've said, all of the um, the actionable items that are included in this toolkit are evidence-based. So exactly what I would do in, in my clinical practice to support children who have got these feelings. And they're simply presented, they're durable items, they're fun, like it's not, you know, something arduous, it's simple, it's gamified, it's it's playful. And, you know, whilst parents or teachers might be the one that's introducing the toolkit or learning about it, we really want to make these, um, these skills part of children's everyday practice. And, you know, we can both talk about that language, you know, of catching sticky thoughts and talking back to, you know, a worry thought and all those things that we know that actually help. So, yeah, the toolkit is, yeah, it's that little piece of psychology that's practical in nature at the end of every book. I really love Dee's clinical lens that that wraps around all of those strategies because I guess there's that level of reassurance that it is evidence-based and that we can practice and and achieve really really great outcomes for little people to to on their journey to really self-manage and self-regulate so uh, I love that. And Jennifer how important is a parent's reading style in uh, getting these ideas across? Is that less important than the act of reading, however it's delivered? Because there's a minimalization of, of the dialogue and there is just this really beautiful visual content, I think the pressure's off a lot. I think it's really important that children are escaping into, into that content and into the visuals it's just reassurance, I guess. Um, and, you know, I, I think about do bears rip, blueberries go bananas, and there's that really sticky thought that's following bear to the forest, but there is no forest. We're not seeing the forest as such, but what we're seeing is that amplification of those words, and which is that sticky thought following bear through to when he gets to the forest. But who doesn't want to be read to? I mean, I love being read to. <laughs> So in any way, that's just going to, to be helpful and engaging. And Deirdre, is that one-on-one -on -one experience that reading delivers uh, as important as any message that uh, can be conveyed through a book? I love the idea of time spent reading with a child. And, you know, 
in a former life, I was a primary school teacher and one of my greatest joys was reading to my class, even though there were 32 children there. Now in, in clinical practice, I get to, to read to children. And I know that um, engagement in that connection is reassuring because when you're reading a book like Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow or Do Bears um, Who Eat Blueberries Go Bananas, we're sharing the experience and the fact that you know, child and reader are there together journeying through this story, I think is so powerful. And we know, you know, from a literacy perspective, children's vocab increases exponentially if they are read to every day. And every teacher will tell you that that's the best outcome. And what better way to have that development, but also having the reassurance of getting some social emotional support at the same time. And Jennifer, how many books are there in the Bear series and what kind of issues do they cover? The next one in the series is a really, oh, I love it. It's Bear Learns How to Be a Fish. And the idea was really around developing um, a story around milkshake breathing. Oh, there's lots of activities to do. Bear Learns How to Be a Fish, um, Bear and the Big Surprise, that's about a new baby arrival. A lot of the things that we talked about when we wanted to create the whole series with really significant, big, overwhelming feelings and how we're going to be able to manage those. Deidre, before you take that issue further, can you tell me what milkshake breathing is? Milkshake breathing is um, a visualisation technique that we do to manage our breathing because we know when we get anxious or worried or angry um, our heart beats fast and we breathe quite quickly so if we want to reduce um, those physiological symptoms of anxiety um, we have to manage our breathing and that can be really tricky for children because you know take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out usually makes you feel just quite dizzy and nauseous but breathing milkshake breathing is you breathing in through your nose and you breathe out through your mouth slowly like you were blowing bubbles in your milkshake in a straw. But children can feel quite overwhelmed when they do deep breathing because it doesn't work for them and they can feel really yucky and say, it's not working. This breathing you've told me to do isn't working. So that's where milkshake breathing comes in. You breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth slowly, like you were blowing bubbles in a milkshake. And we actually get children to do that. We get them to get straws and, you know, milk, milkshake or plain old water and we practice doing that and it's a really good tool um, for children to have to manage breathing and getting those symptoms back down under control when they're feeling overwhelmed the next series of books that are coming out each address a really important issue and that was what was lovely about the um, collaboration that's occurred between Jenny and I because you know we talked about what are really tricky times for children so you know when they want to be able to do something, Bear learns how to be a fish. He wants to get across the river so he can get a milkshake, but he has all these scary feelings about what's going to go wrong. We have Bear learning how to play fair because that can cause lots of problems in the playground when um, I don't want to lose, I don't want to play. And it's a very funny scene where him and his friend Penny Pandery ends up booting the ball over the fence because he doesn't want to lose. And then as Jenny says, the beautiful one about Bear and the Big Surprise and helping parents and children have really helpful um, tools about what to do with those, those feelings when a new baby's coming into their, to their world. These books are not only carry very important messages, but they're a lot of fun too. Deidre and Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. 
Oh, lovely. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much. I've been talking to Deirdre Brandner and Jennifer Whelan about their new books, Bear Learns How to Be a Rainbow and Do Bears Who Eat Blueberries Go Bananas. They're published by Wilkinson and you can find them at goodreadymagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.